welcome to The Current Thing with me, Nick Dixon, where we talk about politics, the culture war, and anything else that comes up. But today we're doing a special edition where we're going to talk about the Bible. Talking about the Bible, kids, but hopefully it will also be interesting to atheists because we're going to get into Genesis. We're going to look at it, hopefully, in a really interesting way that anyone can relate to, even evil atheists. And with this in mind, we've brought on the most base vicar in the land. It's the Reverend Jamie Franklin back on the show. Thanks for doing this, Jamie. Back on the show, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Nick. I'm 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 honoured to receive from you the title of most based vicar in the land. I don't. Uh, there are other base vicars around uh, for sure, so it's a real it's a real honour for me. And uh, yeah, I did wind up some atheists last time I was on the show. Only you know we only saw like a few comments here and there. Um, so you know, no disrespect to them, um, but I'm probably going to do it again this episode. So let's go for it. Yeah, you did. You won the most base vicar in the land contest. Uh, that's where I got that from. Nice. There's a series of challenges, and um, <laughs> and you didn't just annoy atheists, Jamie. Let's be, let's be very fair. You annoyed Muslims as well. Let's be did really, really fair. Did I? Yeah, yeah. Because you said that um, that Andrew Tate is following the wrong religion. Oh yeah. And then there's a there's a load of Muslims on the comments going, "Who's this vicar? <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think he is? Oh no, some kind of base vicar." Um, oh, you know, you know. So I yeah, respect. hopefully. Uh, you, can respect people with, well, you can respect people who are disagreeing with them, can't you? This is the thing, Nick. You can't, you can't, sorry, sorry to jump right into it, but religions are different. I, I will, I will, uh, you know, I, I do, um, I have to put, I have to put a flag in the ground there. You know, religions are different. They say different things. They've got different truth claims. They can't, they're not all compatible. So, you know, it's ridiculous if I'm here as a Christian vicar saying, oh yeah, my religion's the same as everyone else's. It's obviously not, is it? Let's be real. That is very real, and that's very base, and that's very on brand straight out of the gate. But what we were going to do today was go through Genesis, just go through Genesis. My idea was, well, just go through the Bible in order. I'm up to page eight, guys, only about a thousand more to go, and Jamie's going to do them all. He doesn't know yet, but he's going to do hundreds of these, and we go through the entire Bible. But I'm thinking, actually, more realistically, maybe we pick just some of the the biggest bits. Genesis is a pretty big bit, big bit, isn't it? It's pretty, it's pretty pretty important. It's pretty important. Yeah, yeah, very important. Yeah, and I actually, I just came up with this idea, and actually, I realised, Jamie, classic me, I dreamt the whole thing Ah, four years ago, and we could talk about that at the end. But I've actually dreamt this whole series, really, in ridiculous. Yeah, it's to a ridiculous degree. I've dreamt the unlocking the Bible book, which we've been using. I've already from David Pawson. I've already dreamt about using that book and talking to you. We can go into it at you the end. You dreamt this four years just... ago? Yeah, I dreamt it four years ago. It's, it's unbelievable. About I, talking I'm gonna... to me? Huh? About talking to me? In the dreams... Okay, I'll go into it. Basically the dream, and I can go into it more later, but basically, you know I had that dream we talked about on my podcast with you last time where I yeah. saw the cross in the sky? Yeah. And uh, what I didn't mention then, I don't know if I mentioned it or not, I, may, I might mention it on your podcast, was that the cross was on uh, the background of a really old book. And me being a complete idiot, I didn't realize until just now that that's the Bible. Right. Until like a few days ago. Because right. in the dream, I was in a car going towards a giant cross in the sky with the big one. And I'd say in the other podcast how I suddenly knew Jesus and God were real and they were looking at me and all this kind of, I had this euphoric feeling and also fear. We talked about that. But what I didn't realize was that was the Bible. Mm. And also on the same night, I had that dream about the, uh, about the safe. Do you remember me telling you about yeah, the yeah. safe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're trying to unlock it, yeah. I'm trying to unlock it, but I but but I wrote that um I was uh, I wrote that there was a safe, and I'm trying to unlock it, and there was a square. I can't find it now because I wasn't planning oh, to do this till the end. But there was a there's a square. There was oh yeah, here you go. I was trying to access a safe to put stuff in and get stuff out, but there was a big square hole in the safe door. I mean, not that dissimilar to that. The, the the shape of the book. They unlocking the Bible book. 
Like, exactly. Like got and I, and I was getting codes and I was, yeah. and I was trying to open and, and, it, and it was the unlocking the Bible. And actually, and the other crazy thing was I was in the bookshop where I used to work. So that's the book connection, wow. there which is great. unbelievable. And then the bit about you is, um, is that it's an earlier part of the dream. We were visiting some kind of church. I was asking an expert stuff about Jesus. I mean, wow. that's you. Wow. And mm. it's, this is all in 2019, April 7th, 2019. And I had, so I had the dream about going towards the, the cross with the old book, about the unlocking the safe and about talking to you. So I've literally dreamed this series. Right. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't, isn't that incredible? That is incredible. I mean, I think particularly the thing about the book, I mean, the expert thing, that could be anyone, couldn't it? I mean, it could be anyone who, who knows about the Bible, but the book thing is pretty crazy because that unlocking the Bible book literally have a picture of a, does it have a picture of a safe and a key on the front of it? It's Yeah, it's not a safe, but it's a key and, a, and an old and an old normal yeah. lock. It's not, a, but it's very close, I isn't told it? I mean, you, I told you to get that book before I realized, I mean, I, I, you may have told me about that dream before, but I would have recommended the book anyway, and I've only just made the connection. So that is pretty, yeah. That's pretty crazy. Stuff. And I only just made the connection because I was, you told me to get the book. Mm. I looked up the book on Audible, but it started suggesting these podcast type things. And then I realized there was lectures of it. So then I watched the lectures on YouTube yeah. and I've only just got the book. But then only when I saw the cover of the book, I'm like, I, I, I was like, this is ridiculous. In fact, I didn't even get it then. I had to read my old dreams. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So some people, anyway, that may have alienated a lot of people already, but if, if so, it's probably a lot of the content for you. But well, well no, I mean, this is, this, is, this is reality. You can't, you can't deny it. these kind of things happen. When you open your eyes, these kind of things happen all the time. You know, the supernatural world is real and people learn things through dreams all the time. And, you know, lots of people, lots of Muslims come to Christ through dreaming about, through dreaming about Jesus and hearing him say, you know, come to me, follow me. Lots and lots of Muslims in our country and elsewhere. I know people personally like that. So dreams are real. They're ways that they're, they're a way of God's communicating to us sometimes. I'm not saying that's all the time, but you know, I'm, I'm aware yeah. of many stories like this. Sometimes they're just about your gas bill. Yeah. But sometimes they're about unlocking the Bible in four years' time with, exactly. with the Reverend Jamie Franklin. There we go. Well, and these is so for the for the viewer slash listener. This is Unlocking the Bible by David Pawson. He did a whole series of lectures that are incredible, and they're on YouTube, and we will be using those. Mm. And we're just going to be going through Genesis in order, starting from the start, and, and using Pawson. Now, Pawson admits that Genesis is like a simplification. He uses this church-building analogy. He says, look, if you were talking about building a church, you wouldn't talk about the critical path schedule You would just or schedule. You would just say... You know, the, the, we you know we put it with the builders came, the joiners, then the plumbers, and on the and it took seven days, whatever. So mm. he's saying that the language is simplified, but he is taking it very literally, especially versus someone like Peterson. If you if you watch the Peterson lectures on Genesis and things, and his, his in his biblical introduction series, he's talking about like the dreamlike substreets of religion. <laughs> and, and to be fair to him, he does get into it in great depth, but it's it's a different kind of thing. It's taking evolution for as a, as a as a given taking mainstream science as a given hmm. and it's kind of it's a sort of it's not a kind of straight oh the bible's a myth but it's it's a sort of he's giving it great importance peterson but he's not looking at it literally hmm. uh, in the same way that porson is hmm. would you agree yeah yeah absolutely yeah i mean i'm not i'm not uh, i haven't seen i was just thinking about which which peterson ones i've seen i've seen quite a few of them i mean i've i've seen the the cain and abel one for example which i remember and the, the Tower of Babel one. And I think what, what Peterson is doing, he's sort of analysing Genesis almost like it is a kind of dream, isn't it? Like it's a kind of archetypal dream of, of humanity that sort of has great wisdom and insight into the human condition and sort of quite brilliantly, quite brilliantly, I can't really do his accent, but, you know, quite brilliantly um, combining that with insights from, you know, Jungian um, um, whatever, what is it called? Psy psychology. Um 
so yeah so I, I agree with that um Paulson you know he's a he was he's he's dead now he only died reasonably recently but he was a a, a sort of um you know sort of evangelical low church bible teacher but very as as far as it goes i would say sort of quite rigorous um intellectually for example in his in his um in his ones on Genesis, he's he's aware of the contemporary science. You know, we'll probably get into it around you know the fossil record or geological stuff and stuff like that. So, but yeah, very much taking the Bible as uh, the inerrant word of God, as history, um, not as not as myth, um, and and treating it seriously in in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Important died in 2020, age 90. Yeah, incredible teacher. And and if you get nothing else from this, just go to the unlocking the Bible lectures. The thing we'll add to it is probably just banter mm. and, uh, yeah, uh, you know, in a little, yeah. I don't know. It's just we can, a way we can respond into... We can respond to it, can't we? We can, we can respond yeah, to it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and and uh, so so Pawson's take on is very different. And by the way, you learn all sorts of little facts from Pawson, like it wasn't called Genesis, of course, until later. They just used to name it after the scrolls, and the scrolls were just called in the beginning. They were called whatever the first line of the scroll was. That was yeah. a kind of interesting detail. And he's full of those kind of things. But so... One massive thing is, is how you deal with, with science and the Bible. And that's one thing that he addresses immediately, Pawson. And he says there are three different ways we can talk. And by the way, just for the listener, I'm going to have to do a bit more talking than I normally do on the podcast. Normally, I just let the guests speak, but I have to do the structure. So don't shout at me. So there are three different ways that you can reconcile science with the Bible. He says you can repudiate, you can segregate, or you can integrate. And he says repudiation is bad because you can't just say science is wrong because it's got so much right. And you look, you look silly. And you, he calls that committing intellectual suicide to believe that. And by the way, Jamie, within my structure, you can jump in whenever you mm, want, by the yeah, way, because otherwise yeah. I'll just be reading. Yeah. But you can just decide when you, when you move to jump in. The second way is to segregate, to say there are different kinds of truths. There's a physical, material, natural truths versus the moral and super, supernatural truths. Mm. And I think ultimately Peterson's doing a very high level of that. He is separating it. He's doing it in a higher level way than most, mm. but he is ultimately separating it, whereas Pawson's not. And he says, another way of calling this, describing this is facts versus values. Mm. I've got a fly here. Remember you had that spiritual attack of yeah. the fly last time? We did one. I've got one yeah. now. It's classic. Klaus Schwab um, in your office. Never have flies in here. So he says that fits our sort of Greek thinking, keeping the spiritual and the physical as two separate watertight compartments. But he says that that kind of thinking is totally alien to the Hebrew mind, which saw God as creator and redeemer, yeah. so that the spiritual and physical belong together. Yeah, and and he says this thing about treating it as a myth just won't work. And Douglas Wilson yeah. said a similar thing. There's a clip where Douglas Wilson watches Joe Rogan with David Mamet, yeah. and they're just say, Mamet's just saying the Bible's a myth. But the problem with that is, once you start doing that, where do you stop? And both Pawson and Wilson have said that. Yeah, Can I, I mean, this is not straight. <laughs> this is some, slightly off the off. Uh, it's slightly maybe uh, tangential. But the thing about the Greek thinking thing, I think, is very odd because I think the Greek thinking it depends what he's talking about. But in a kind of Platonic um, understanding, the the spiritual and the material are bound up together with each other. Um, so I don't really know what he means about that being Greek but certainly I do understand what he means when he's when he talks about segregating things out and I think it probably is the way that most Christians deal with these questions around you know science and the sort of contemporary scientific world seeming to say seeming to say something so different to what Genesis Genesis says you know in, in Genesis 1 in particular I think that's probably the way most Christians deal with it they just they just don't really they never really sort of think about it too much they just keep it in two two compartments so I think that that's I think that that's probably right sorry I jumped in I don't know whether you got to the third no that's part. a great jump in because yeah. you know far more about, well most things than me I mean I didn't know that that was 
was yeah, it's a good point. That's not a great way of thinking strictly. Yeah. But he just said that for some reason. But yeah, yeah the water occasionally, tank occasionally Paulson says says stuff which I think, oh gosh, I don't really know where you, where you. <laughs> he often comes out with just just sort of random comments like that. But yeah, I I don't really know what I don't really know what the point of saying something like that is. I don't I don't think it's that I don't think it's that simple. And I know I know you're going to go on to talk about integration, and and I totally agree with with what he says about integration. I just don't know if that's indicative of what Greek philosophy was actually doing. But I would say that Nick, because I'm a, a Christian humanist, and I believe that uh, lots of Platonic philosophy is is compatible with with Christianity. So I would say something okay. like that. Very interesting. All right. Yeah. Well, he's just, he's doing these speaking lectures, isn't he? And often you do say things. Mm. I certainly know from all my time in stand up comedy, you say things on the stage like, "What was I talking about there?" Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, and he points out, look, Adam and Eve would be called myths then, then then Noah, then Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, then Moses, and then ultimately, and he says, we have now our theologians calling the resurrection a myth. Yeah. And this okay. was in the early 90s he was doing these, I think. So yeah. he's saying, or in the 90s, so where do you stop? Yeah. And um, yeah. he said, you end up just putting the Bible alongside the Quran, the Holy Vedas, and the, and that will destroy the Bible. Yeah. So, so, I mean, can I jump in again here? Okay, so yeah. just to put my cards on the table here, I'm, I'm, not really, I'm not really sort of firmly in any camp when it comes to talking about Genesis 1 and 2 and, and so on. Um, uh, and I'm not, I'm not coming from the position of a, as somebody who's, who's um, an expert in the, specifically in the, in the Hebrew um, or, or in the Old Testament. Um, you know, I'm just coming at it from, from my, own, my own perspective. I've got other areas where I, I think I am a lot stronger and where I do know quite a lot. But this, this is just coming from my own personal experience and, and what I know with the amount of education that I have. But um, so Genesis 1, just to speak for this, for this, speak to this question of, of um, you know, where do you stop if you treat some of it as, as, as myth or poetry? Uh, there would be people, and I would say there were completely sort of orthodox Christians, um, some of them, you know, very, you know, safe in inverted commas, somebody like the apologist William Lane Craig, for example, to, note, to cite a contemporary uh, evangelical academic. He's great, by the way. He, yeah. he had those debates with Christopher Hitchens and he basically spanked him. Yeah, but yeah, sorry, yeah, carry yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Christopher Hitchens got into a it was sort of mumbling away, wasn't he, into his, into his chin because um, he, didn't, he didn't know what to say. Um, sorry, sorry, atheists. Um, yeah, so uh, Genesis 1, yeah. So basically what, what um, Craig would say about this is um, this is clear, you know, if you look at the, if you look at the genre, this is, this is clearly kind of mythopoetic history. Um, which goes which goes on until um, I think he would probably say chapter two verse three and then in chapter two verse four then you then you get into something which no actually he'd probably go for the whole first three chapters of Genesis I would have thought yeah so anyway he'd probably say like the chapters one to three they're all sort of mythopoetic history and then you get into chapter four and it's some and there's a more of a historical feel it's like a, it's it's a question of the genre of literature I probably misrepresented the specifics of the his viewpoint but the actual general idea would be that you can you can differentiate between different um, genres of literature between say a mythopoetic uh, genre and something which is meant to be you know a sort of more straightforward historical narrative but to be honest with yeah, you well, he it, said it should be laid out as such he said I hope you've got a Bible where you can see when it's poetry and when it's prose so yeah, yeah he, there is poetry Paulson, there's, there's history there's prose Paulson said that did he yeah 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 he yeah he did and and he and Paulson would would agree that there's poetry in the first three chapters of Genesis but I think Paulson's view would be that this is this is not 
mythopoetic. It's not a myth. It's telling you exactly, well, not exactly, it's probably the wrong word. He's, it's telling you what happened. You know, if you went back into history and looked at it, you would see what it describes in Genesis, in, the, in Genesis 1 3. Whereas William Craig would say that, would, would not say that. He would say it's, it's a poetic account, it's a mythical and poetic account of what happened. So, what, we, what actually happened in terms of what literally happened is not described in Genesis 1 to 3. It's, it's, it's written in a, it's written in a, different, a different genre. Does that, does that make sense? That makes sense, yeah. Well, yeah, Pawson yeah, we would be much more straightforward. He said, um, he said, when it's prose, that's God telling you what he thinks. And when it's poetry, that's God telling you how he feels. He was, he was, I mean, that's not the same thing as, as Craig at all, is it? No, 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 that's, no, no. That's, that's a, that's a, I think Paulson's making a different, he's making a different kind of observation at a more sort of general level about the types of literature in the Old Testament. And again, that's a, you know, it's a massive generalization, isn't it? There's all sorts of poetry and lots of the, you know, lots of the poetic um, writings in the Old Testament are written, sorry, lots of the prophetic literature in the Old Testament is written in poetic forms. And it's not, you know, it's not even written, some of it's not even written from God's perspective, you know, so it's, 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 it's a huge generalization. But what Craig is talking about is from a kind of contemporary scholarly perspective, that there are different identifiable genres of writing which you can, you know, for example, observe in other texts that were written around the same time, which aren't the Bible, and you can there and you can see that these are these are different genres, you know. So the 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 specific genre that he thinks that Genesis one to three um, is written in is called um, mytho poetry or um, the mythopoetic genre. He just wrote a book about that. I forget what it's called. It's a book about the historical Adam. I haven't read it, but. Um, yeah, just just to put that out there. I'm, and again, I'm not saying I. I'm not saying I. I uh, to be honest with you, I land more on. I think that the Genesis one to three is 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 literally true. And I don't land. I I believe that it's literally literally true. And I'm not prepared to say that it's a mythopoetic account. But um, I don't want to um, miss the opportunity to represent that viewpoint because it is a is a widely held viewpoint that sort of thing. And there is an answer to it. You know that's that's out there. That's that's been given in a robust way. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, William Lane Craig is excellent. I definitely yeah. recommend his he's debates. A, a, I haven't read his yeah. book. He's a good. He's a good. He's a good man and a completely orthodox Christian. I'm, I don't really share his view on this, but you know, he's he's a good yeah. man for sure. All right, and um, well, Paulson says God is the God of history. He says we're reading his story, and and he he points out that Jesus accepted Genesis as factual. Yeah. So he says that you can't segregate in that way, but that's a common way that Christians have tried to get around it. Yeah. And he says, instead, both scripture and science are, in fact, overlapping circles, and they are dealing with some things that are the same, and therefore there are apparent contradictions between them, which we must look at. So he says, therefore, the best way is to integrate, and remember that the transi transitional investigations of science, i.e. that it changes its views, so you know, an atom was once the smallest thing, now it's not, yeah. and so on, geology's changing, you know, DNA has emerged. He says that... Um, he says the earliest form of life has the most complicated uh, form of life, which is DNA, in it already. And he claims that mathematically DNA is a language passed on from one generation to the other. Therefore, DNA must have a person behind it. I wasn't sure totally what that meant, but uh, well, he means he means that DNA is written in a language. It uses letters and and you know um, identifiable forms of 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 what we would what we could would would in other circumstances consider to be communication and you don't get things like language and intentional communication without some kind of mind behind it so i don't right. know if that makes sense i mean yeah. it seems to me to be a pretty pretty convincing thing to say because i mean i just i, I find the whole the whole idea that 
something like DNA could have evolved pretty just I just don't believe it I just don't believe it could possibly happen um it, it does it does seem to me to be um the only explanation really can be that it was it was um created by by a designer by somebody of of by something of 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 great intellectual power beyond beyond um our understanding um and the idea it could have developed over char- uh, by chance over a, a period of billions of years um well, it, it just seems to me rather fanciful. And um, here we go. I'm, I'm already, I'm already getting into it, Nick. Even though I said I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to come down hard on any particular viewpoint. But um, and again, I'm not coming at this from a perspective of, of real knowledge or anything. I'm just telling you my sort of where I'm at with this. But um, DNA, there's, I mean, as far as I know, there's no sort of. Um, there could, there's only the there's only speculation in terms of how DNA could have actually evolved, isn't isn't there? There's no there's no sort of understanding of how DNA could have evolved in terms of transition or anything like that. We just we just have DNA, and it's just an article of faith upon the evolutionary paradigm that it that it must have evolved because evolution must have must be the answer to to absolutely everything. But it does seem to be um, a fantastic thing. Um, to to believe such a thing, it takes an awful lot of faith, I think, to believe such a thing. Yeah, I know. Sorry to have a part of the atheist, but yeah, the idea that everything was chancy, I think, is looking like more and more like one of the most insane viewpoints. I don't even, I don't mind as much if you, if they say it's intelligent design, but they don't go for Christianity. I can sort of, you know, I go, okay, it's up to you. And if they go, it's a simulation. I can, I can almost, I can live with that logic. When people say it's just pure chance, I can't. It's just so stupid. I can't live with it. Yeah. But. You know, we will get someone on about evolution because we're quite anti-evolution on this podcast. And it, we, yeah, Alistair we, Williams, we should, James, Dennis, whatever's say, been saying, um, you've got to represent the evolution position. It, we, we shouldn't say it's pure chance either because that's not quite what um, what evolutionists believe. They believe in um, random genetic um, mutations which are passed on um, through survival of the fittest. So it's not it's not really chance. Um, it's 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 Good a point. I'm straw manning them. Yeah, 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 it's a process. I've read I've read Dawkins. I remember reading Dawkins' um, book. What's it called? The Greatest Show on Earth, where he goes to great lengths, you know, pontificating pontificating about this because he, he finds it very annoying when people say it's it's chance. Um, but I mean, what what you would say, what I would say, is that um, all right, it might not be chance, but it's still a creative process. Which I mean, if it's real. Um, it tends towards greater and greater fecundity and complexity and beauty um, and variation and so on and so forth. And that that force which exists in the universe is itself mysterious. You know, why why does this why if this process is real, why does it happen? Why doesn't it tend towards decay and destruction and and um, and lack? As everything else seems to do when it's when it's subject to the normal forces of entropy in the universe, you know, there does seem to be a kind of um, a force in the universe to whether one is a creationist or whether one is an evolutionist. There does seem to be a force in the universe which tends towards life and fecundity and and variation. There seems to be something in the universe that wants life to exist. So even if you do believe in evolution, I'd still say that there must be there must be this at the very least this force that exists in in the universe um and that it's very hard to sort of account for it in terms of a bare materialistic i mean let's face it Nick, the whole like bare materialistic naturalistic atheistic thing is just it just it's 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 so 
it's so preposterous. I'm sorry. I'm just gonna I'm gonna offend all the atheists. It's it's just so preposterous because even if you even if you can have a complete understanding of the evolutionary process, um, you, which we which we by no means have in, in so many ways, there are still laws of nature which ha- which these things have to run along. So you still need to work out even after you worked all that stuff out, there would still be these laws of nature. I mean, what are they? They just exist. You know, well, they're just there. Well, that's not an explanation. Like you, you just a materialistic view is just it just doesn't do anything to towards towards really explaining why things are the way they are. So there we go. That's the first that's the first anti-materialist rant. Well, I think if atheists are still listening to this, then they're probably prepared to be offended because they're like, well, they're listening to a, a vicar talk about Genesis. And it's like they're probably yeah, up for it. You know, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just going to I'm not just going to roll over and say, oh, yeah, we have to believe evolution because of, you know, because of the 19th century. And now we have to reevaluate everything. I, I, I'm not going to do that. I do agree with Porson that we shouldn't be dismissive of, of science um, and we should we should pay due respect to it in terms of um, in terms of what it's given us and in terms of the great discoveries that it has made. Absolutely. But I think we need to in, we need to integrate the provisional understanding of science that we have with the Bible. And it can't be it can't be in such a way as that it undermines what the Bible is clearly saying. I do understand what Paulson says when he talks about um, when he talks about our interpretation of the Bible not being um, inspired or infallible. I agree with that. But but nevertheless, nevertheless, there is a limit to which to which that goes. And I think, okay. you know, the idea that of, um, well, anyway, I'll stop there. You get, yeah, you're getting ahead of me because I haven't even yeah. said that. But yeah, yeah. Sorry, so let's, uh, yeah. So, yeah, he says it has, he talks about the best ways to integrate. And remember that science changes. And he says quite, a, he says the thing about DNA has having a person behind it, that geology is changing. There's these different ways of finding the age of the earth. And he talks about, some people have said the short, people arguing about the age of the earth, whether it's 9,000 years, 175 or four and a quarter billion, like others say. And he talks about anthropology's changed over the years. Creatures we thought to be our ancestors are no longer regarded as such. Biology has changed. He makes an interesting claim here. Very few believe in Darwin, Darwinian evolution today. And I was thinking they, loads of people yeah, believe in it. But, but does, I mean, he, does he mean, is it actually a more subtle point than that? Because there are different, there are different forms of evolutionary theory, aren't there? And I think, I think Dar- the Darwinian paradigm has been superseded by... Um, there are there are two there are two different stages beyond Darwin, isn't there? There's not well, the one we're in now. I know is called the extended evolutionary synthesis, and then there was a one beforehand. Or I can't remember what that one's called or what that one's about. Yeah. But is that what he meant? Did he mean? I think that- he definitely means that. He's following it and saying, look, even Darwinianism strictly is is outmoded. But when I say I believe, I think people do. I mean, ordinary people on the street just have basically think that we've accepted Darwin. They yeah. haven't. Okay. Yeah. They're not. You know. But there's two different points. But I just think. Yeah, okay, okay, it may be outmoded in scientific circles, but actually we're sort of living as if we all believe in the basics of Darwinism in the in the Western world, mm. I, I would say. Yeah, okay. I mean, would you, that's what I think anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But his point there is science changes, so we can't tie the Bible to any particular age of science or it would be thrown away in the next generation. And then he said the thing that you just alluded to, traditional interpretations of Scripture can also change. The Bible is inspired, but our interpretations may not be. So we, we have to be flexible Hence, when science is realized to be transitional and our interpretation of scripture may change, then we can seek to integrate science in the Bible and make balanced judgments where contradictions seem to exist. So he's sort of saying, let's not tie ourselves to a generation of science or one particular interpretation. Let's just be open, but but not just giving in to, you know, this science is, is, is usurp the Bible. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'll go with that. Well, the, the only question is, um, you know, how you how you sort of safeguard, well, how you tell the difference between um, an interpretation of the Bible that could be revised in the light of scientific discovery and interpretations of the Bible that you're not willing to revise in in the light of of, of science. So, um, you know, Pawson clearly isn't, he's not willing to revise his view that the Bible teaches that human beings were specially created by God and didn't come from a, a common ancestor with other animals, right? I mean, uh, am I right in saying that that's, that's, that's one of the places he goes in this? I think, I think so. That he says what again? Well, well, I, I just he doesn't he doesn't believe in the common ancestry of, of human beings with other animals. Right, right, right. Okay, now science. I don't think so. I'm not. I'm not certain, but I, I doubt it. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> but I'm sure that's what he says. I've I've watched I've watched two or three of these lectures, and I'm sure he says that in in the one about evolution. But so so he's not. He wouldn't be willing to take something that would require that drastic a rereading of Genesis as he sees it, uh, even if the even if the majority of scientists do say it. So there is, there is a, although I agree with the principle, there is nevertheless a point at which you can't just say, well, you know, my interpretation of the Bible is wrong here and I've got to change it if, if the Bible is saying something which is, which is very clear. So, um, you know, Jesus believed in a historical Adam, for example. I agree with that. Jesus clearly believed in a historical Adam. Um, so Adam must have existed in the way that, in the way that, um, the Bible says he existed. And if science comes along and says he can't have existed, then, well, you know, science is wrong. And it will, and when science finds the, the right answer, it will conclude that it, it is indeed a possibility. I'm just offering that as an example. Do you, do you see the point I'm making? Yeah, and Pawson says somewhere, by the way, if we go for the um, it's all a myth thing, then Adam becomes an every man rather than a specific man, Adam. Yeah. But so you were not saying that you was. So you basically you, you so you have you go along with Pawson on that. Yeah, I think if Jesus says something, then it's true, isn't it? I mean, it's it, that that's a problem if if you if you're going to start saying that things that Jesus said weren't right. Yeah, it says he, yeah he said he, he accepted Genesis as true. So yeah, and he goes in. Do you want to go into this thing about the days? Because this is actually yeah. really interesting because yeah. he he gives one example of how yeah. interpretation changes. Yeah. And one example, and the example he gives is the days in Genesis. Yeah. And um and there are five different ways of looking at the days in Genesis and even and we're getting on to the actual Genesis in a minute by the way guys this is just the overview so um and people have people don't even grasp these even a Christian the other day sent, said to me oh yeah I I go with this one and then mm. in turn incorporated part of a different one I go no that's a different one so there are five different ways that he lays out and he he says that yom is the Hebrew word for a day but it can mean twenty four hours like a a day it can also mean daylight hours. And it can also mean an era, like the day of the horse and cart is over. So, so that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. And so if it's 24 hours in, in Genesis, he says you need to find more time somewhere between verses 2 and 3, uh, apparently. And some people find it in the flood. Some people say that the, the time without form and void was much longer than God put it right in six days. And other people say that God creates antiques, by which he means things arrive and they already look old like a tree that's already old and there's also a strange thing about adam which i, I don't fully claim to understand where it's like how old did he look if he was he did he look 30 years old but was he actually half an hour old that because he'd just been created so yeah. that's complicated yeah yeah so, um, so what he's saying there is adam must have been created with the appearance of age yeah but he's actually not but that's i don't know if that's a separate point because he's because he's not going with this one he's saying the 24-hour one is flawed 
And I think he thinks the antiques one is flawed, but he's saying that it doesn't really work. So you've got to find extra days. Then he goes on to a second one, which is the geological era, which some people go for, which is it's not six days, but six geological ages. So mm-hmm. it's the era, the day meaning the era, the horse and cart type of meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a third one, which is the mythological, which just treats the six days as pure myth, poetic framework. So the point is to get the moral. It's a, what he calls a fable day. So in that one, it doesn't matter. It's just a story. In the fourth one, this is an interesting one. It's the educational theory where God revealed his creation in stages to Moses. So it's, it's a school day for Moses. So it's, 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 it's through Moses' view of it and, and God's imparting wisdom to him in different stages, i.e. school days, mm. which is interesting. And he says God would either reveal it verbally or as a kind of picture show in that theory. And then he has the one that he goes for, which is the best one, which is God days where he says time is relative to God and to us. So a thousand days are like a day to God and a day like a thousand years. So in that, in, so to God saying the whole creation is a week's work, but that's God days. It's a bit like dog years or something, or mm. it's like to God, a day is like, could be thousands of years. That one makes sense. And um, he says that's the best one. And other ones like the era one tends to just reduce human importance to just a blip, you know, mm-hmm. and um, in history. And yeah, so he goes with that one. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, Nick, is um, having been very strident about a number of things, um, I, I sort of look at this and I, I feel sort of fairly ambivalent about it. Um, I, I, can, I, I can see why people insist on the 24-hour thing because it does seem to be the straightforward meaning of the, um, the text. But then when you consider the way that day is used differently in English. It, it's not, it's not, it doesn't do violence to the language to say that sometimes the word day means a period of time, you know, like the day of the horse and cart. So if that's the case in Hebrew as well, then I can't see why that, that wouldn't be the case. Um, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure I'm convinced by it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm open to Paulson's view, which is the God days thing. Um, but you know, the, I suppose what you would say to counter that is that Genesis one is is sort of a week, isn't it? It's it's clearly it's clearly it's clearly seven days finishing on the Sabbath day. It, it's not. There's no indication given that these are epochs or eras in the text itself, and so you know that's what somebody who would want to want to stick to a 24-hour period reading of it would say. So I think it's either one of those. Um, but they're they're pretty significantly different, aren't they? <laughs> Whether it's twenty four hours, I don't I don't know about the the middle three. The educational one seems a bit crazy to me. But um, it's either yeah, twenty four hours or or ages. Well, I, I I'm not sure which one. Yeah, they're quite different. Well, yeah, well, twenty four hours, ages, and God days are three different theories in this. So yeah, it, no, it is it is that is tricky. Oh yeah. So what's the ages one then? What, do you mean the geological ages? Yeah, I didn't mean that. I meant the God days thing. The the other the other the other um, way I've heard that explained is that. Um, in the book of, I think it's one Peter. Peter says, you know, um, a thousand. I think he says a thousand years to us is like a day to God or something like that. That's a paraphrase of what he says. So people mm-hmm. have said, oh, you see, well, there's an example of the way that time is relative to God um, and and to us. So what seems to us to be a really long time is to God just a just a day. So maybe the Genesis one is speaking that way as well. Um, yeah, I think it fits with the person's original point about he makes it a start about. It's a way of explaining it that humans can understand. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of, is that is that the same point? It's tricky, and it? it's 
If God's it's, saying yeah. seven days, it's likely you'll get this when I say seven days. But yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. But, but is it? But then, like you say, the Sabbath is it a literal day? Yeah, it's confusing to us now, though, isn't it? <laughs> if that was God's intention to make it simple. That's true. Yeah, people. he could have made it simpler. Yeah, because now, we've got five different versions. <laughs> now it's really confusing. But I tell, I tell you what I do. I tell you what I do like about this is. Um, I think that the old earth thing, you know, old universe, old earth, that's not as much of a problem theologically as the um, as the as the idea that, you know, human beings came from a common ancestor with other animals um, and that there wasn't a historical Adam. By the way, earlier, I realized when I said Jesus believed in a historical Adam, I think what I was actually thinking of is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul definitely believed in a historical Adam. And he and he said, you know, in the book of Romans, for example, that the historical Adam, um, you know, uh, uh, um, death came into the world through sin. And as a result, all sinned, which is what it says in Romans 5, 12. Um, and then he goes on to talk specifically about Adam over and over again. So the Apostle Paul definitely believed in a historical Adam and the whole idea of original sin and the redemption that's that's wrought by Christ um, is dependent upon there being a historical Adam as far as the Apostle Paul is concerned. Um, I'm not actually certain what Jesus said about the historical Adam, so I just want to just add a okay. little bit. I may, yeah. I, may have been, I may have been too strident there. Um, but yeah, the, certainly the Apostle Paul did believe in, in a historical Adam. Um, I believe so I, Jesus made reference to Cain and Abel uh, and seeing that as proof that they were persecuting of, of good people throughout time. Is that right? In, I think so. Okay. Yeah, he may have done. But, um, but yeah. you're the vicar. And then, and then <laughs> the, the other thing that definitely is in the in the um, in the gospels are genealogies which go back, go from Christ back to Adam, as though Adam is a real historical person. For example, at the beginning of the book of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke. So the the writer of Luke seems to believe that Adam is a historical person. But anyway, the point the point I'm making is that I think that historical Adam is really, really important. Historical Adam and Eve and the stories in Genesis about Adam and Eve and the fall, that's really, really important. The age of the earth and the age of the universe, I would say is less so. Um, and if you want to if you want to read Genesis one and, and say, well Genesis one is talking about eras, as long as you don't sort of throw away the text and start, you know, doing violence to it beyond saying you know that these the interpretation of the word yom day is flexible i don't really see that that's a huge problem i do see it's a huge problem saying there was no adam there was no eve there was no fall human beings are evolved in the same way as all the other animals are evolved and that you know we're not we're not sort of essentially different from them by virtue of our creation by god or something like that i think that that is a massive problem um in fact i think that just destroys the entire christian religion if you say that so does that make sense? So, so Paulson's yeah. view, you know, older. I think Paulson's view is basically older, no, um, no macro evolution, um, and certainly no, and certainly that human beings weren't evolved from a common ancestor. I think that view is is a totally orthodox, fine view, personally, and is probably the closest. You know, I, I don't really have a firm view on it, but that would be my. That would be my sort of inclination to say something like that. Yeah, maybe the, maybe the universe is old, maybe the earth is old, but human beings must have been specially created by God. There must have been an Adam and Eve. There must have been a fall, you know, that, and those things are, are, are not negotiable. Um, and I'm sceptical about the notion of macroevolution, but I don't think that that's the, necessarily the most, you know, um, that's not the most crucial thing outside of those things that I just mentioned. Okay. Does that make sense? All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I reckon we've done probably enough on the on the on the very beginning of it. This uh, theological discussion has 
It's hotting up. I'm getting too hot. <laughs> oh, no, Nick, let me just wait, before we move on. Why do you what, yeah. do you? what do you think about this? Have you got like a view, old Earth or evolution or what? You know. Yeah. Well, I I I I defer to the experts, James, because while I'm reading it in a very, I'm reading, I'm taking the Bible on its own terms, and I'm not trying to add interpretations at this stage. Really, you know, I listen to Peterson, I listen to Porson, but I'm not trying to overinterpret. I'm just sort of trying to just read it as a layman, which I am. And I'm and I'm interested in all the theories, but I'm not making any conclusions. Yeah. And I'm also and I'm asking you because you know much more about it. And I, I tend to lean towards the God days theory with the with the uh, mm. five days, just because that, that's the one that made most sense to me. So I can you know I, I lean to and I think he's right. That you have to into. I think he makes a good case. I tend to go along with his case for integrating science. Yeah. Certainly repudiating it won't work and segregating yeah. it is interesting in the way that I believe Peterson's done an advanced version of that. And you listen to Peterson, it's always very interesting, but you do think, is he, is he uh, kind of, is that really in the Bible? And you also think, is he missing the point? Is it too psychological? You know, Douglas Wilson always describes Peterson as close to the kingdom yeah. and things like that. So, so I think there's a flaw in that, doing it Peterson's way, but obviously Porson's way can be, can be quite easily critiqued these days so but anyway i'm trying to just keep an open mind and be yeah. very you know just read it and this and with that in mind i'm gonna i've got a series of very naive questions for you but here's <laughs> one that struck me immediately yeah this is a massive one why did god put the tree of knowledge <clears throat> there in the first place now the tree of knowledge porson says really means experience because of course you, you get the phrase um adam knew eve meaning had yeah. sex with so therefore that's new so therefore tree of knowledge is really tree of experience and my question is, was it so that we had free will because the tree's right there, but we have to deliberately not partake of it? Was that was that to do with free will? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. So um, oh, I've smashed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got it right, Nick. You don't even need me to answer. <laughs> um, yeah. So the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is it represents it symbolically represents um, and it literally is. Um, it's the point at which human beings have the opportunity to obey and love God and cleave to him in the goodness of his commandments or to turn away from them and to find out the hard way that disobeying him, living without reference to him is, is not going to work. And the alternative to that would be a, a, a universe in which there was, there was no... There are, there are, there are actions have no, um, no real consequences in terms of right and wrong. It would essentially be a kind of, we would essentially be kind of automatons with, with no choice. So God wants us to choose him freely. And he's wanted that since, since the beginning. And he can't force that. He can't force us to love him. He gives us the choice. Um, one line by C.S. Lewis, which I really love from the Screwtape Letters, is that um, he can only woo, he can't ravish. I really like that line. I think it's a really good line and it sort of sums up in a very pithy way this this point. God doesn't ravish. He doesn't force us to love him. He woos us to himself, uh, but ultimately it will be it will be up to us. And so I think that's what the tree represents and that's why it's that's why it's there in the first place. Couldn't he woo us without the fairly harsh stick of the tree of knowledge just sat there deadly. You got the tree of life and the tree of life. I mean I mean, did it have to be? Couldn't you, couldn't we have still had free will without without you know in a in a more in a less extreme way? <laughs> yeah, potentially. I think I think it's about the. I think the the thing that's important about this is the subject matter. It's about whether or not we're going to accept and love God. 
And ultimately, the consequences of that question are extremely significant. It's, it's, it's about who, who we are as creatures, our fundamental purpose in this world. And if we accept God and love him and desire to know him, then we can fulfill the purpose for which we're created. And if we, we don't, then we can't. So it's sort of, in that sense, it, the, the consequences are very, very serious. Um, so we're talking about a sort of fundamental question, an existential question, if you like. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I'm trying to think of the literal reason why the tree might be there, but it's almost impossible to have, because you're doing an interpretation of it, it's almost impossible not to, because if God's put the tree of life, tree of knowledge, sorry, there... He's put it there. That that begs the question immediately. You know, why and and that and then you come up with these sort of answers. There is no. It's almost impossible to have a purely literal reading yeah. of that. Well, yeah, and I I think um, yeah, the text doesn't tell you why God put it there, right? So you have to you have to sort of interpret it in a certain way. And although I I do want to say that these things literally happened, and I don't want to. I don't want to dismiss them and dismiss the idea of a historical Adam. There is nevertheless a sense in which the story resonates existentially with every single human being who's, who's, who's ever lived. You know, the notion of there being something in your life which you know is wrong and you know you shouldn't do, but nevertheless you feel drawn towards because it offers you some kind of experience which is going to, which is going to make you complete and satisfy you but at the same time, you know it's a turning away from God or a turning away from the good or, or however, however it is you understand it. So, so you know, we, we have to hold on to both of these levels, the, the, the literal level. There was a real tree. Um, there was a real decision on the part of Adam and Eve to sin. But nevertheless, there's a sort of existential resonance that this, this story has with us. But I would argue that the, the existential resonance speaks to the truth of the story, not to its not to a sort of pure it's being true on a kind of purely symbolic or metaphorical level if that makes sense okay and is the problem the problem is because you could almost the problem is not is the problem experience itself versus innocence or is it is it the nature of the experience that the serpent was convincing eve that we she could be her own god essentially that would seem to be the key thing yeah I think that's an interesting question. Is it? I, I listened to Porson talking about this, and he he sort of um, compared it. He used an analogy, didn't I? I forget which, but it, but something like, you know, it's like a parent telling your child, you know, don't put your hand on, you know, on on the hob or something like that. And there are two different ways that the child can respond to that. On the one hand, they can say, okay, I won't do that because that would be bad, and so that's a type of experience. But it's a kind of experience which is accepted. Um, on the basis of trust and and faith in the wisdom of one's parent so that's one type of experience and then the other type of experience is to put your hand on the hob you know the child puts the hand on the hob burns himself and then recognizes via that type of experience that this is this is wrong and that's the kind of experience you don't you don't want to have you don't need to have um, because you could you could have taken it on trust um, whereas you know the child who burns himself decides, well, I, in, out of pride, you know, that I want to do this myself. So I, I, I think that's, I think that's quite a good uh, analogy. It's quite a good way of, of, of thinking about it. It's not, it's not experience as such, because of course, lots of experiences are good, but there are some kinds of experiences that we just don't need to have in order to recognize that, that certain things are bad. 
And yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the bit I specifically meant as well was, um, yeah. was when he, the serpent says, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Wow. Yeah. So why was it, so, you know, the idea of being like God clearly is sort of the ultimate impudence, but why would knowing good and evil, I don't know, why is, why is that such a problem? I suppose it's obviously not the, the end of innocence, obviously, but... Yeah, well, there's a question of what Satan meant there, right? So Satan isn't telling the truth, like Satan's lying. So what does he mean when he says um, you will know good and evil? Um, maybe he means that you'll have the kind of knowledge that God has about the nature of good and evil. So God doesn't experience evil because God doesn't do evil, but he, ha- he must have some kind of insight into evil. So maybe maybe Satan was kind of promising something like that kind of insight to Eve. And so she decided that she'd like to have that kind of insight. And um, I mean, Satan's saying to Eve that God is lying about the consequences of eating the fruit, isn't he? So you won't die. Con- you won't die. Conversely, what will actually happen is you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. So you have the same kind of knowledge that God has. And um, therefore, you should eat the fruit. I, I, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. I might, I might have a, I might look that up actually. I've got a number of books here. As I said, as I said, Nick, I'm not, I'm not an expert in this area at all. No, um, as I am. Yeah, you, you are. Area. You are. Um, it's your area. Well, I'm going to look up that. You, you can look up, and I'll, I'll, I might carry on because, because, well, I can, I can wait for you to look that up if you want, or I can carry on. Cause, well, what, I'll just say for the listeners specifically. The oh, um, it's four and it's four and five, isn't it? Three, four, and five. Chapter mm-hmm. three, four, and five. Yeah. In my book, one here, thing that sorry, you you carry on, you carry on. Yeah, I'll carry on. one thing that's really interesting is to me is is the is the sort of way when God discovers this, He curses them. Of course, Adam tries to deny it and he blames Eve, which is lame, and he tries to hide and they use oh, yeah, the yeah. fig leaves. And um, and the punishment is that He punishes the snake to slither along on its belly, and um, that's interesting because this serpent probably had legs. Mm-hmm. And Pawson points out that uh, snakes, it's actually boas and pythons, I checked, still have tiny legs. Yeah, they've got little feet, yeah. They've got tiny legs. Uh, because, uh, but in, and, in, and in Genesis, God you know, cursed them to slither on their belly. So perhaps it had legs until that point, which snakes did used to have. Mm-hmm. little interesting fact there were certain snakes. And um, he curses the snake, but he also curses Eve, of course, and, and says that childbearing will be painful. And that this, this part really interested me, Jamie, and I've got a controversial red pill point. He says, your desire should be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And this is a great punishment. So I was asking, I was going to ask you, is marriage therefore a punishment? If you make it so that a woman has a desire contrary to her husband, but must obey her husband, at least at that time, hmm. is, was marriage intended as a kind of punishment or at least the, the, the post-fall version of marriage? Yeah, so, so marriage definitely not because marriage is a prelapsarian um, ordinance of God. Prelapsarian, by the way, is... Lapsarians to do with the fall, right? You, you yeah. Familiar with this word, yeah. So pre mm-hmm. prelapsarian is before the fall. Postlapsarian is afterwards. So if something's prelapsarian, it's 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 a good, you know, it's a it's a sort of unalloyed good. Um, at that point, it's part of God's intention for creation. So so marriage is something that was inst- instituted by God before the fall. So yeah. it can't it can't be a bad thing. But this, but this, I mean, then modern marriage became cursed with this phrase. Yeah. So so there's a. As a result of sin, there is a tension in marriage where the, whereby the, the sexes um, are inclined to engage in sinful types of behaviour which cause tension and difficulties and breakdowns in, in, in the relationship. 
So where is it specifically? Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So, all right, Nick, so I've got to put my cards on the table here and say something um, politically incorrect, um, but which is nevertheless true. Um, Adam, so Eve eats of the fruit first, and then Adam, and Adam's blamed for it. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says um, that death and sin came into the world through one man, and he says over and over again that it was through Adam. Now, you look at the story and you can quite clearly see that Adam is is um, blamed for it and Eve is not blamed for it ever, even though she did it first. And the reason for that is because Adam was the head of the marriage as the man and therefore he had to take responsibility for the wrongdoing of his wife. Um, and that speaks to the, the view which is just taken for granted throughout all of scripture that as um, the Apostle Paul says, the husband is the head of the wife, meaning that the husband has responsibility for his wife and his family in a, in a general sense. Now, in Ephesians 5, I may have even said this, I've said this a lot of times on podcasts, but, you know, in Ephesians 5, talks about, you know, husbands love your wives, give yourselves up for them as Christ gave himself up for the church. Um, wives, submit to your husbands. You know, there's a there's a there's an ambivalence, well, not ambivalence. There's a there's a complementarity within marriage, especially in the light of the gospel, whereby we're called to love and serve one another, and not to treat each other harshly, not to rule over each other in the way that's described here, which I'll come to in a minute, and so on and so forth. But there's nevertheless an, an order in marriage which which God has has given to us, whereby the the husband is head, responsible. Um, and has to be a, a leader, guider, provider, and everything like that. So that's where I'm at in terms of what the Bible says and in, what, in terms of what reality is. So given that, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. I think that that is talking about the way that that dynamic, that, that benign and good dynamic, is corrupted by the fall. So your desire shall be contrary to your husband. I think that's talking about the way that the, the, the way that, women and wives within marriage will be tempted to usurp their husband's authority in the marriage relationship and not be content with being um, being underneath their husbands in terms of, you know, the husbands um, being the head of the family, being the, the, the guider, the ruler, protector, wisdom, and so on and so forth. So the wife will want to rule over the husband, the wife will want to wear the trousers. Um, he shall rule over you, I think is speaking about the way that husbands after the fall and as a result of sin will use their strength and their power in order to subjugate their wives in a way which is um, diminishing or abusive um, or belittling. You know, that could be through physical violence, but it could also be through the violence of words, harshness of manner, force of personality and so on and so forth. So it's talking about the way that, that that benign and good structure that God has built into marriage and the family is going to be corrupted by sinful impulses. Yeah. Okay. I, I, and just on the first point of responsibility, just to reiterate, he says, um, so uh, God's asking, where are you and what are you up to and why are you cowering? And, uh, and, and, yeah. and it, he says, why, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat, the man said, the woman whom you, you gave me to be with, that's quite yeah. funny, says, this woman you gave me, she's a nightmare, the woman yeah. you gave me to be with, she gave, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. So of yeah. course he blames her 
And that's yeah. his big problem is that you can't, you still ate it. Yeah, you didn't know it was from the tree. We didn't check either. And, uh, you know, you, yeah. you ultimately have responsibility. So, yeah. And is that is that not what we see in our world today, Nick? So many men who are just completely unwilling to take responsibility for their own actions, whether it's in marriage or anywhere else. You know that, you know, everyone deep down, I think, realizes that, that part of what it is to be a man is to take responsibility, not just for yourself, but for other people as well. And particularly in family, your, your family context, you can't just blame your wife. And just you know, sort of say, well, it's got nothing to do with me. You're responsible as the man. It doesn't. It just doesn't apply the other way around. It applies that way around. And so Adam is, you know, here. He's just, you know, he's representing what so many men subsequently have been, and what so many men are today. People who are just completely unwilling to take to take responsibility, to take ownership for their own actions and for their own families. Yeah, and, and what men would say now, or some men anyway, in 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 counter that is that. The authority God talks about has also been completely stripped from men. They have no authority and no respect in the culture. So then they say, well, then why should I take the responsibility? Mm-hmm. So that's where we are. But it yeah. seems like maybe that's where we always were if you look at, if you look at Adam and Eve there. And that's in, this is an English standard version, by the way. I do yeah. have the King James as well, which in some ways is more poetic. My yeah. shot is too dark for you to see it. But, um, but I, we, I went with the English standard because partly on your recommendation, because it is, it is obviously it's clearer. Good. Yeah, it's good. Um, but... Um, so that's that's that part, and I also it's also very interesting. He so he punishes, so he punishes the serpent, because 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 of course Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent. So it's everyone's blaming everyone. He punishes the serpent to crawl on its belly. He punishes Eve to be in pain in childbirth and and have this problem in marriage of, of contrary desires, and of course he punishes Adam by really his work is going he's going to have to work and it's going to be toil and sweat and um, by he says. Uh, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you meaning the earth and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread so that's he, he makes his work he makes him have to work and he makes yeah. work difficult that's my interpretation you can correct me if you want and then well, and then he well, crucially he <clears throat> says um till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return so he can so death which wasn't there before. So that's a pretty big one. So pretty mm-hmm. tough on the man. I mean, t- woman gets pain in childbirth and marriage problems, but the man gets work and death. Yeah. So yeah. Well, the, woman, the woman gets death as well. Um, but um, yeah, so, so I think um, work is also a prelapsarian ordinance because um, God puts the man and the woman in the garden and they're to name all the animals and tend the garden. So there is a, there is a, work, there is a type of work before the fall. Um, so work in itself is not bad. It's just that work has become toil post, post fall in the post lapsarian situation. Um, so the ground is now cursed. Uh, we can, we can um, cultivate the land and, and work the land, but it's much, much harder and more difficult than it, than it should, than it, than it ought to be. Um, and, right. and, I, and much harder than just naming stuff, which is kind of creative work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so work and productivity and, um, you know, cre- creation, creativity, or whatever you want to say, that's all, that's all good stuff. It's just that it's, it's labored now. It's hard now. It's, it takes it out of you. You feel tired when you do it and you, and you frequently, you know, get brain fog or whatever it might be, or get aching body or, you know, all, all of the, all of the kind of negative implications of having to actually toil are a result of the fall and in, in lots of ways this is this is kind of hidden from us now because we have we do still toil but we toil in in different ways broadly speaking in in modernity but if you consider what what the history of mankind has been like before the invention of um, industrial machinery agricultural machinery you know dragging 
plows over hard ground and in the in the in the baking sun or if you consider um what childbirth was like before the advent of modern technology um it would have been completely different to the way it is today so these things are still you know there is still toil and childbirth is still horrendous um, but to a certain extent we've been able to sort of mitigate the effects of these things and and hide them from 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 ourselves so so there is that and then there's the thing about death as well so Paulson says that he thinks that the tree of life would have sustained Adam and Eve that they weren't made immortal um, which is interesting I, I I'm not really sure what I think about that um, I find that to be somewhat questionable interpretation because it seems to me that what happens at the point of the fall is that death enters into the world and death is not just the consequence of not eating from the tree of life death is like a power you know the way the way the apostle paul describes it in in romans 5 is like that death is almost like a kind of demonic entity that enters into the world and um and it's a completely unnatural thing it's a kind of intruder into god's good creation so I don't know really what I make of Paulson's interpretation because his interpretation seems to be that death would be the natural consequence of not eating from the tree of life. But the way I've always understood it is that death is is um, is a completely foreign invader into God's good creation, which is placed upon human beings and and the world in general as a curse as a result of sin. Um, so so yeah, there's that to consider as well. I, I must be missing the distinction there but it, 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 the choice to eat from the tree of knowledge rather than the tree of life is what brings about death right so and, yeah. and so what is the what's the difference between you and Paulson there I can't quite tell well Paulson's view is that Adam and Eve in their prelapsarian state were created mortal and that they had to eat from the tree uh, of life in order to continue to live and what I'm uh, saying is that seems yeah, to imply yeah, that death would have existed even if there hadn't been a fall if they had just failed to eat from the tree of life um, but my mm. view would be that they were created immortal and that it was as a result of the fall that they that they died physically. Yeah. And yeah, it's this question of whether they had to keep eating from the tree of life to yeah. sustain themselves or, or not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. But there's an important um, theological point there because death, you know, in order for the, the story to make sense, it's not just about sin coming into the world, it's also about death. You know, these are the twin enemies of of creation you know sin and death they come in they're completely foreign they've got no place in the prelapsarian world whatsoever and then they come in as a result of the fall and that's what jesus deals with so you can't have those things in the and that's part of the reason i think you that lots of people rightly have questions about the evolutionary thing because it does seem to be the case that you've got death kind of baked into the whole thing for billions and billions of years or millions and millions of years and and if you're going to hold to the orthodox biblical view of of what happened at the fall you can't have death before the fall it just doesn't it just doesn't work it messes everything up theologically hmm. okay very interesting and since we've done some heavy questions what about a trivial question that i thought was a great question then paulson specifically mentioned it as the kind of <laughs> trivial question people ask hmm. and i suddenly felt like a, a fool but i wanted to ask you why yeah. <laughs> why does the um devil not appear as a snake anymore and i had a theory on this yeah, yeah. That, uh, unless i've missed it and he does by the way and my theory was that atheism's already won so much in this culture if the devil was to show up as something like a serpent or a snake now everyone would start believing in god because they go oh the, the devil's real so god's <laughs> probably real whereas he's completely won anyway because everyone's believing in materialism and atheism yeah yeah well i mean in in um 
it's not so much a snake. I mean, it would be interesting. Like, I'm, I'm not. I'm actually teaching myself Hebrew at the moment because I don't know it, and I would like to know it. So I'm, I don't. I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any stretch of the imagination. In the in the New Testament, in the Book of Revelation, um, the devil is referred to as a serpent, and I'd be interested to know if if in the Book of Revelation. Um, there's an equivalence linguistically with the with the snake in Genesis one. It certainly seems the imagery is not not far away. You know, serpent, snake. You know that that could that could be the same thing. Um, yeah, but I mean, broadly broadly speaking, I agree with your your viewpoint. I think the Satan's um, tactic in our culture is to is to remain largely hidden and to allow people to just um, go on with their materialistic lives um believing that the spiritual world is a is a fantasy um and that that's his i was just reading something actually while i was waiting for you which talks about the way that suffer uh, that that secularism is a kind of suffocation of christianity and i think that's a really good way of putting it like secularism is all about kind of you know from a spiritual perspective it's all about just suffocating any sense of the spiritual world so it would make sense that that satan is you know withdraws and doesn't manifest himself um overtly uh, too much but nevertheless um he does he does manifest himself uh through you know occasionally in our culture but it's it's not as much if you were to go to cultures where that's not the case you would you would frequently find people who are possessed by um demons and things like that and they would you know it would be very obvious that satan and demons are real but i think he's hidden in our culture mm. yeah the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist exactly. kevin spacey and the usual suspects and yeah, now spacey's back proved innocent so you all yeah. have to watch his films again if you believe yeah. in law yeah it's it that's actually a, it's actually a quotation from a french poet baudelaire baudelaire i think um the 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 devil the thing about the devil it's, it's well, taken I didn't think, I didn't think Spacey had come up with it I assumed it was from something <laughs> but I didn't know Baudelaire said it that's, that's really interesting uh, yeah. I, all I know is f- flowers of evil um, well that's his, that's what he's famous no well, that's what he's famous for that's like his uh, that's like his Enter Sandman isn't it to do a I <laughs> love your metal that's his black um, album <laughs> I wonder where that came from in Baudelaire so someone can tell us but yeah interesting it probably is from the flowers of evil. He was a smart guy. Yeah, yeah, it might be, because I just know the title and I haven't read it for many, many years and I don't remember seeing the quote. Um, so, all right, slight digression. But um, so, and then there's a strange bit that I didn't totally get. Actually, maybe we'll do first another trivial question. Come. Because another trivial question Porson mentions is about people having problems with the ages. So Adam lived on 930 years. Right. Noah lived a very long time. He was 600 years old when the flood came. But so there's this thing of like, why are they all living so long? But then there's also this question. I was trying to f- figure out if man was was condemned to uh, to live a less long time as a punishment for being attracted to women. I may have got that wrong because it, it may be it may be angels that he's talking about. But the, the right, so there's this yeah. part that, which is labeled in this version increasing corruption on Earth. <laughs> yeah. And um. And when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Great system. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. And then he starts talking about the Nephilim who are kind of, uh, this is, I think, a mixture of angels and and persons. So it could be that he's talking about that. But I, I wondered from that passage if he's saying something about, well, look, you're attracted to women fine but you're not going to live as long i don't know it's, I was trying to, it's a tricky one because yeah, before okay. then you've got people living 900 years and stuff and, and yeah. was people, it methuselah yeah. was 969 adam was 930 
Yeah. So, so um, people have very strong views <laughs> views about the Nephilim. Let me read. Let me just read this here. Okay. So, some people have thought that the sons of God were fallen angels, but the sons of God were probably not angels because angels do not marry or reproduce. And it quotes something Jesus said about that. Some scholars believe this phrase refers to the descendants of Seth, who intermarried with Cain's evil descendants, the daughters of men. This would have weakened the good influence of the faithful and increased moral depravity in the world, resulting in an expulsion of uh, sorry, in an explosion of evil nephilim refers to a powerful race of giants right next note this is on verse three his days will be 120 years means that god was allowing the people of noah's day 120 years to change their sinful ways uh, god was showing great patience with humanity um so that's talking about uh, it's saying it will be 120 years since till the flood i think okay all right and then one more thing the nephilim were giants people probably nine or ten feet tall. These may have been the same people mentioned in Numbers 1333. Don't know what that is. Goliath, who was nine feet tall, appears in 1 Samuel 17. Uh, the Nephilim used their physical advantage to oppress the people around them. So there's a little note on the Nephilim there. doesn't really say okay. much, apart from they were really big. Oh, yeah, I got that. Yeah, so I got that completely wrong. I, was it when Methuselah died that he was going to do the flood? Yeah, he, I think so. He, yeah, he waited and he waited till then. So yeah, he's very patient. He waited 120 years. Like I'm going to flood you, but I am going to wait. But he's yeah. obviously he doesn't mess around and doesn't uh, doesn't go back on his words. Like I'll yeah. wait 120 years and then. I think the name the name Methuselah means that when he dies it will happen, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. As in like, yes. the flood. Which is a heck of a thing to be called. Yeah, when he dies it will happen. <laughs> um, so why do you think they lived so long? People like Adam living till 930 years and Noah. I can't remember what Noah was, but he was 600 at the start yeah, of the flood. Were, and he lived a long time after that. They were old, weren't they? Yeah, again, there are different theories on that. Some people think it's like a labeling, you know, it's like a labeling thing or it's a, it's a way of kind of talking about, um, it's a kind of common ancient Near Eastern way of talking about the greatness of someone by exaggerating how long they lived and so on and so forth i've got no problem just taking it at face value and saying that they lived for for this long and it could be the case that for some reason human beings um you know took a took a longer time sorry the age of human beings reduced as we get further and further away from the fall maybe as a result of sin and corruption maybe something to do with genetics you know the genet the gene pool becoming more corrupted or something like that or you know, increasing um, things, other things which are harmful to human beings, increasing on the earth like bacteria or diseases or viruses. Um, I don't really know, but but I think it I think it could be it could be something like that. It's just it's just a, it's indicative of a kind of gradual degradation and decline, um, and so people live less and less uh, mm, long periods of time. Yeah. Although Aubrey de Grey claims he's now fixing it, and that the first person. To live to a thousand has already been born. It wouldn't be the first person in biblical. To, well, maybe because they didn't quite reach. Yeah, a thousand they didn't reach a thousand. So, yeah, it does. So he, it does seem to be set now at somewhere around you know 100, 120 years old, isn't it? It doesn't really seem like it's 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 possible to get beyond that. I'd be surprised if, if these people are able to do this, but maybe they. Yeah, are. they think they can cure death by curing. They say it's just damage accumulating in the body, and if they can cure it, it, it will. Uh, and then there's a terminal escape velocity, which we're we're improving our technology and lives are expanding faster than than the rate of anyway yeah too much to get into well because i want because we're doing the bible i wanted to ask you about <laughs> this bit on a well page four on mine i'm not very good at knowing the i suppose the chapter before as well it's um <laughs> it's to seth also a son was born 
and he called his name Enos. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, when it says Lord in the English Standard Version, that's instead of saying Yahweh, yep. which is the Hebrew word, which people, I, I seem to have lost my note on that, which is comes from, I think I've got it somewhere else. Uh, it, it comes from to be anyway. It comes from, yeah, yeah. It comes. From, there's different ways of looking at it. it it's, uh, I completely lost my note, which is quite hard, difficult because you can't just riff this one. It's, uh, and let's see if I can find it because it, 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 there's different ways of looking at it, but it's something to do with to be, isn't it? Yeah, and it, yeah, and yeah. it comes from yeah. another word, haya, which is uh, the Hebrew word. Oh, here yeah, we go. I've not printed yeah. this out. So, so, so Yahweh. People, lots of people think it's. Uh, many scholars believe that the most proper meaning may be He brings into existence whatever exists, and then there's haya, which is to exist, to come to pass, to happen. And then, of course, in Exodus, there's there's God saying, "I am that I am," mm-hmm. and um, and so so a couple of questions, and then and then we have Porson's version of that, which is always he he goes with the phrase always because he said that's the closest. Oh, I have got it here. He says that's the closest he found in English. He said he prayed on a similar word to Yahweh, and he came up with always, which is a, which is a similar word in English. He claims, and also it's quite good because it. We talk about the bang, big bang theory and and the, the big problem they can't get around is what was there before yeah it, to, for something to be created and if god was was so god must have been always there so he says always is a great term for god in, in that way as well mm-hmm. but my question here is what do you think of his substitution of always uh, and what do you think of and what and why in is it in this point in genesis where people began to call upon the name of the lord which would be yahweh in the original why does that happen there after seth's birth yeah. Okay. So just uh, just one point of nuance here. So it's when in the ESV, it's when, and I think probably in other modern translations, it's when the word "Lord" is written in capital letters. Um, That's what I'm saying. If it's not written in capital letters, it could be a. Tra- it's probably a translation of Adonai, I think, or Adonai. Um, so that's yeah, that's the YHWH word Yahweh, and we add the we add the vowels into it because there aren't any vowels in the Hebrew. Um, and that's so, also where Jehovah comes from because they didn't understand that it was, it was meant to be pronounced as a, a W. They they, they yeah. thought the J V thing meant Je- they thought Jehovah's a good version, but Yahweh is not like Jehovah. That's what Porson says. Anyway. That's what Porson says. Yeah, in his quite dismissive way. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, but they were wrong. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jehovah's like Witnesses, a, get out. Do you think yeah, he sounds yeah. a bit Make, like James yeah. Mason? You know James Mason. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he sometimes he really reminds me. Of James but with a touch Mason. of sort of northern, because he's from the northeast. Yeah, so but I think I think north. I think he's from the northwest, isn't he? And I think I think. Uh, no, no, no. You're right. Mason was from Yorkshire, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, Porson's yeah. from uh, no. Porson was a as a as a Geordie originally. I think. Oh, is that right? So oh, so they were from the northeast. Yeah, maybe maybe I was maybe I wasn't too far away from there. Um, okay, so there's so sorry, uh, just getting off the track there. So so Lord means Yahweh. So what do I think about um, Porson's? calling him always. I think it's, it's fairly idiosyncratic. Um, my understanding of it is that it's a verb. It's, it's like a, a sort of an allusion to the verb to be. So um, you, could, you could translate it, I am who I am, or I am what I will be, or simply I am. And Christ, Jesus is always um, using this, this formulation, ego and me, in, in the Gospels, particularly in the Gospel of John, uh, where, which is taken to be a, a reference to to Yahweh, ego in me means I, I am. 
So in 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 the Greek, me itself means I am, but the fact that he puts the word ego before, which means I, sort of it, it turns it into this kind of idiosyncratic construction where it where it means I am, but in a kind of emphatic way, which appears to be referring back to to the divine name in the Old Testament, Yahweh. Um, Thomas, it's got a it's got a, a history in uh, theology as well. Thomas Aquinas makes um, a huge deal out of it. Uh, the the and he 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 referred to God as as He who is, um, and there's a great book um, by um, the 20th century uh, systematic Anglican theologian E.L. Mascow called He Who Is, uh, which is referring to that as well. Um, but the point being, you're exactly right, Nick, is that God in Himself has existence as a not as something which is given to Him from something externally, but as um, something which is part of who He is within himself existence isn't um it's not an it's not an it's not something which is accidental to god it's something which is part of his e- part of his essence and so it's it's uniquely the case for god that existence is part of his essence so that's why he can call himself to be or i am or something like that whereas existence is just something that's kind of loaned to us by god and you're exactly right this is this is the one question that the atheist can never answer because the universe does not have existence as its own essence it's clearly contingent it's clearly dependent upon something else for its existence um and that thing is that thing is god uh, that makes sense from a kind of metaphysical perspective it doesn't the materialist view that it doesn't make any sense because the universe needs to get existence from somewhere um so that's that's a bit about that now the other question was about the the actual um text here so Seth also was born, uh, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call up upon the name of the Lord. That's a really interesting question. I've never actually thought about that before. Um, I was just looking to see if I had any notes in my in my Bible, um, and I, I actually don't. So, welcome don't... to stumping the vicar with the <laughs> That's that's an interesting one. So. Let's just read this here. Hang on. So this is the bit on this on this section. Unfortunately, when, when left to themselves, people tend to get worse instead of better. This short summary of Lamech's family shows us the variety of talent and ability God gives humans. It also presents the continuous development of sin as time passes. Uh, another killing occurred. This is this is the, the verses just before as well. Another killing occurred, presumably in self-defense. Violence is on the rise. Two distinct groups are appearing. One, those who show indifference to sin and evil. And two, those who call on the name of the Lord, who are the descendants of Seth, apparently. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what it says in it. Verse 26. Seth would take Abel's place as leader of a line of God's faithful people. So what he's saying there is that two, well, as it says, two distinct groups of people, those who are becoming gradually more worldly separated from the ways of god violent sinful and then there's another group of people who will represent um the line of god's faithful people going forward Um, that's yeah whereas cain's line is the bad line yeah yeah so cain's line also includes the invention of metallurgy and uh and and music weirdly so i'm i start to get worried because i love music i'm like music comes from cain's line i'm like oh no what is that what's that about yeah i don't think it can be all music can it because I just I don't like that either. It, or That's it could it. be that they did some good stuff as well. I don't know. It's, I, I'm worried about that. But um, where, where so, what, that? so why do you think they only started to call upon Yahweh then? Then oh, yeah. at that point, yeah, or they well, just or they just did historically? Well, I don't I don't know what that means. I mean, I'm sure there'll be an interesting um, anthropological um, answer to that. But it might just be something as I was just looking I was just looking back uh, through the previous um, 
chapters did be I, mean, I was just wondering if it was to do with the divine name if it was that previously they didn't use the divine name but they used adonai or something like that and they right. they specifically started to use uh, yahweh there i mean that's honestly that's just a guess i don't i don't know um but it's it's got to be something like that hasn't it because people were calling on the name of the lord prior to that because you've still yeah, got you still got be. abel you've still got abel who's faithful it could be um, something not that important that i've boringly chanced upon and we shouldn't go into it too much maybe. Or, or maybe it's to do with people like generally at that time people generally started calling on the name of the lord rather than you know a few you know rather than just abel or you know and a couple of others it might be something okay. like that yeah well someone can answer i'm sure some someone can write in and answer that maybe mm. but yeah you're right and before that there was another killing from lamech who, who said if, if cain's revenge is sevenfold then lamech's is 77 fold i was wondering about why do why is his 77 i suppose just things getting even more extreme and, and worse but yeah but um all right, well, so I've got to go reasonably soon. I think maybe we should leave it because um, there's too much. There's there's Cain and Abel. I don't know what how much time we've got. We've got a short amount of time. Or, or, or do you want to do Cain and Abel, Noah, and the Tower of Babel very quickly? It depends because, no, like, guess. this is all in a first eight pages. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. The creation of everything, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah, ba- Babel, or Babel, first eight pages, all of yeah, those. I, do you think, I just, just, let's just pause and just think, have we... Have we sort of covered everything that we've spoken about so far really, really well? Is there is there any sort of are there any clangers that we haven't that we haven't spoken about which are which are important? There's almost bound to be clangers with podcasting, and people are very keen to point them out. Yeah, um, I, I think what we can say with with absolute certainty is that this podcast will irritate lots of people because um, there are lots of people on the kind of creationist side of things who really, whenever I talk about anything to do with creation or evolution they're really upset with me because i don't go in harder you know as in like six days young earth you know it must be this way blah 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 and i hope that i've satisfied them to a certain extent because i have tried to be clear about what i think is really essential um but nevertheless it's just not an area where i've i've gone into like you know loads and loads of detail and myself personally so i'm not i'm not hugely confident on it um and then on the other side there'll be people who are evolutionists you know, both people who are Christians and they'll be atheists as well. And they'll think that, you know, what I'm talking about is, like Pawson says, like the equivalent of intellectual suicide. And you're just like throwing away everything that's absolutely certain and talking nonsense and believing in, in you know, um, myths from the Stone Age. So, and also I made all those comments about marriage as well. So there's, 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 there's bound to be people who are upset with this. And, and all I can say is that, um, I'm just doing my best here. So, yeah, it's funny that you're so in that world that you're sort of, of course, I mean, I'm in the world of people being upset on YouTube and in the comments things, but you're in the world of people being theologically upset. Whereas I'm so naive, I'm just naively going through the Bible, not even aware of all the, the, the terrible conflicts that are to come. But I just, I'm just doing it because maybe people will go back to the Bible. Maybe they'll go to Porson's lectures. Maybe they'll find it interesting and, that's the only reason and because yeah. i dreamt about it four years ago that's the only reason yeah. so i'm not claiming to have any answers and even and like even yeah you're a vicar but you're not claiming to have all the answers in the old testament either it's um, it's, it's good for me as well nick because it makes me think about these things and i, I watched these uh, i listened to the lectures while i was washing up this week so it was quite a good it was an edifying way to sort of in, in, engage my brain while i was doing something while i was doing something manual so it'd be good i, I to be honest i haven't watched the ones on cain and abel or noah or tower of babel so It'd probably be good not to go onto those before. Um, okay. Before before I have done. I've got so many questions about them as well. When we get onto them, like why did Noah get drunk immediately after the flood? That's the kind of level 
of my insight. <laughs> but it is an interesting question because you think at first he, he gets drunk immediately after the flood and you think, okay, he's just that's what people are like. And then he, he's naked. Then his sons have to cover him. And then yeah. he wakes up annoyed and curses Canaan. And then you think, why has he done that? He didn't do anything. And that's his grandson. And you think it's kind of like a sitcom ending to the bleak story of the flood. But then I realized it's because the Canaanites were troublesome neighbors at the time. So he was cursed. It had a propaganda aspect to it. So it's like, it's crazy. There's so much you can get into. We're only eight Uh, pages in. We're not even eight pages in. We didn't even reach Noah. If we're we're not going to go into it any any further, can I just make a further comment about this this thing about Satan? Is, Is that right? Yeah. It's, it's kind of it's kind of slightly tangential, which is why I didn't say it earlier. But um, I've been reading this this book um, called uh, Demonic Foes, which is written by. Hang on a second, what is his name? I'm going to look it up because um, I've forgotten it. But he's basically a very very highly cre- credentialed. Oh yeah, Richard Gallagher, MD. He's a very very highly credentialed um, psychiatrist who started because not not because he was sort of looking for it or anything it just came to him he started investigating um possessions and diabolical attacks and things like that and honestly it's the most sort of convincing you remember what i said earlier about the devil hiding himself um it's this book is like the most convincing thing i think from a kind of straightforward kind of rational perspective as to the reality of satan and, and demons and their operations in this world um, it's just, yeah, it's just absolutely remarkable. Um, so, so just to elaborate on what I said earlier, I do think that Satan hides himself um, very, very well in our culture. But there are clearly people who either because they seek it out or because something happens to them, come into the contact with Satan and demons, you know, often through the occult or um, Satanistic um, religion who become either oppressed or, or possessed by by evil spirits um so 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 that kind of thing does happen but i think it's i think it's quite rare but this book if anyone's interested to learn more about that i really would recommend it uh, demonic foes by richard Gallagher. i'm very interested but a little bit scared to read it it is a, it is a bit scary but, up. but it does it does show you nick like the reality of the the spiritual warfare that we're living with i mean one of the things i find quite heartening i mean i'm an i'm an anglo-catholic which just you know for relevant here to say is that is a, I'm a high church Christian, so I believe in I believe in the the power of the sacraments. You know, I believe that there there's something spiritually powerful about the mass and about baptism and so on and so forth, and that they are they have um, apotropaic aspects to them, which means that they um, they they are like exorcisms. You know, they they repel demons. They they um, they have a spiritual force to them you know there's a light that's that's going on when you're when you're engaging in these things and this book absolutely confirms that because the de- the demons hate the mass they hate the eucharist and they hate consecrated hosts that's the the thing they they cannot stand more than anything else um and that's you know in my view that's because consecrated hosts are the holiest thing um on the planet um, and so they're, they're spiritually powerful things. So I find that really, really fascinating. But it does, it shows you the importance of taking this kind of thing seriously. You know, the devil's real, um, demons are real, and um, and it's a spiritual battle. It's just it's just largely hidden from our eyes. Okay. And as you were saying that, I think someone tried to get into my flat, which is also a, a spiritual it, attack. Yeah. But I think it might just be my cleaner, because I'm like, a, which is a very uh, first world <laughs> problem. But I'll I'll deal with that. Um, thanks so much for doing this, Jamie. This, this, and check out Demonic Foes. This has the definitely the feel of sort of paid content, but we don't have a paid content set up yet. So um, I don't know. We might release this as a trial one, 
and yeah. just to everyone and then maybe do paid stuff in future if you want to support the podcast and uh, all the stuff i'm doing you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash nick dixon and please subscribe on youtube and subscribe on the audio and leave us a five-star review if you are listening to this wherever it comes out it'll be on the current thing somewhere and jamie where, where can people find you yeah, so my podcast is called Irre- Irreverent Faith and Current Affairs, not Irreverent, Irreverend, it's a pun. And you can find it, at, I just dinked my glass by, <laughs> didn't mean to do that. Um, uh, you can find our website, irreverentpod.com, everything is on there. And also you can follow my substack, which is jamiefranklin.substack.com. So those two addresses will get you everywhere. Okay, and I should have said that you're the host of Irreverent at the start. But this has a very paid content, loose yeah, feel. Yeah. This is the, for the yeah. absolute hardcore. This is, uh, yeah. you know, things, things happen on this podcast. Demonic attacks, the glasses, doors yeah. opening, all sorts of stuff, and people yeah. forgetting key facts. But we're going to go through the whole Bible. This was just the first one. We got through about five, six pages of the Bible, yeah, yeah. and we've got thousand and something to go. So, Jamie, my, we're back my for all Bible's of those. got 1,340 one pages in it, so there's still quite a way to go. That's a lot of paid content. <laughs> so we're going to both give you make a lot of money. I'll give you a percentage. Someone's going to um, get rich. All right. Thanks, Jamie. We'll do, we'll do something like this. If people like it, we'll do something like it again if you're free.